Yeah, good one, Billy. <laughs> Why don't we just pray for the kids before we send them out? Father, we want to thank you for our beautiful kids. Thank you that they are, I guess, fresh cement and their lives can be shaped and moulded. And Father, we just thank you for those men and women from our church and young people who uh, commit their time to invest into their little lives. And we pray, Father, that their hearts would be open, that, Lord, that their minds would be in tune. Lord, we pray for their behaviour this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would just come upon them, Holy Spirit, and just help them to be attentive and to learn. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of our leaders and we pray that you would really bless them. Lord, may there be uh, an incredible impartation of truth today, that our young people would learn the statutes and the laws of our God. And But Father, would it be more than just religion? May it be a dynamic relationship with you, with the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And Lord, we continue to ask that you would pour out your spirit upon our young people that they would be a bold generation, that they would be a generation of young people that just don't do church, that they are the church, that they are vibrant and alive in their expression of faith. So, Lord, we ask for your blessing over their time today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Off you go, kids. Stampede out the door. Have fun, John. You. <laughs> You're the biggest kid here. <laughs> okay, we've been began last week looking at uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, and um, you know every one of Paul's letters to the different churches takes on a different flavour. If we think about the, his letter to the church at Ephesus, it was a very spiritual book, like a lot of. Uh, spiritual warfare and this whole dynamic of walking in power and authority. But when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, it was a it was a much more warm and affectionate letter. Uh, he obviously had a real connection with that group of believers there, and you can sense the warmth as he writes. It's like he's writing to to a group of people that you know he loves very much and is very close to. And every one of the chapters in the book seems to take on a theme. Last week we saw that Paul wrote to them about suffering and uh, that he was suffering and they were suffering as a church, but he was trying to explain to them to to embrace that suffering and to see it not as a, as God's punishment, but to see it exactly the opposite, as God's favour upon them and that they were suffering for a good cause. And this week we're going to move on to chapter 2. And chapter 2, really the theme is about unity and about them being a people that journey together in like-mindedness. So let's read through the chapter. Therefore, if you have any encouragement being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you 
to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, it's interesting that when you consider the New Testament, that most of it is made up of letters, correspondence from Paul to a group of people. And correspondence is an interesting thing because we only get one side of it. It's one side of a correspondence between two people. And it can be a very interesting thing, correspondence. Let me give you um, an example. Get my phone. G'day, Russell. How you going, mate? Oh, that's good. So has it come yet? Oh, that's really good. And how big is it? Yeah? And what colour is it? Is Belle happy about that? Oh, that's good. Is it petrol or unleaded? So correspondence means you've got to fill in the gap on the other side. Obviously, Belle's having a baby. Most of you that know that would have been thinking I was talking about that. But I wasn't, I was talking about a new car. And so what we've got to do when we talk about correspondence is, is we've sort of got to read between the lines. We've got to guess what's happening on the other end. What is Paul actually writing about? And when he says in the first chapter, you know, don't worry about my suffering, you realise that they were obviously anxious about the fact that he was in jail. When we get to chapter 2 and Paul starts writing about unity, then we read between the lines and figure out that in Philippi there is obviously disunity in the life of the church. So Paul is speaking into that. But I, I love the fact that these are letters because when Paul wrote these, he wasn't sitting down thinking, well, in 2,000 years' time, in officer in Victoria in Australia, these people will be reading my letter. He didn't know it was going to be scripture. He's just pouring out his heart to a group of people in a specific situation and God's truth is manifesting what he wrote and it's still applicable today. And that's the amazing part of, of them being letters is that you hear Paul's heart and you hear his emotion and you hear his love and affection for them. Whereas if it was just a, like a, a, um, a lecture piece that Paul had written, it would be totally different. It wouldn't have the feel to it that we get for it being a letter. So I think it's really beautiful that God chose to do it that way. 
So why do we have to have unity in the church? What's the, what's the real reason why we have to have unity? Why do we have to be like-minded, one heart, one mind, one spirit? I mean, you look at all the different faces, all the different personalities, all our different preferences. It's really asking for a lot, isn't it? For us to be in unity. It's a really big thing. And it's a big thing to God, and we need to ask ourselves, well, why is it so important? I think there's two reasons why. Firstly, it demonstrates the authenticity of the gospel, the gospel message. The gospel message is that God can take wicked um, people, he can change their hearts, he can turn their hearts around and make them into something beautiful. And the expression of that inner change manifests itself here in community. And so if what happens amongst us doesn't demonstrate that the gospel is real and alive, then we actually undo everything, don't we? It demonstrates that the gospel actually works when there is unity because it demonstrates that we can forgive one another. It demonstrates that we can accept one another despite our differences. And here's something you need to learn. You don't need to like everyone in the church. You don't need to like everyone, but you need to learn to love them. There's a fundamental difference. You cannot like everybody that you meet because you're wired up differently. It doesn't mean you hate them. It just means you have different interests. You have different hobbies. You feel differently about different things. That's okay. We need that diversity. But we need to love each other and respect the differences. And, and I think sometimes Christians try to like everybody. You're not going to. You're not going to. But that doesn't mean you can't honour and respect and work with those people and love them because love is greater than like, you know, and it means you will go far beyond. Um, it's easy to love people that love you and that are like you and barrack for Essendon and, you know, all that. So that, they're the easy people. It's like the McLeans who barrack for Collingwood. They're the hard ones to love. <laughs> but I don't have to like them. I don't have to like the fact that they barrack for Collingwood, but I have to love them as people. And that's what Paul's really saying. It's a question of love. And the gospel is about God's love. Like God didn't treat me the way I deserve to be treated. I should be rotting in hell. But God's grace and his mercy came into my heart, changed my attitude, changed my outlook on life. And so unity demonstrates that we all have experienced that heart change and that love. Interesting thing. If the eye and the ear give contradictory messages, people will always believe what they see with their eyes. There was a study that was done, and what they did was they put this man in a booth, and he was mouthing the word pop. But people couldn't hear what he was saying. He was just saying pop, 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 pop. But through the loudspeaker, you could hear him saying dad, dad. Dad. And they did it as an experiment to see whether people would lip read or whether they would hear. Which one do you think that they went with? It's what they saw with their mouth. It's what they saw with their eyes. Coming out of his mouth was more important than what they heard with their ears. And really isn't that true? The world doesn't need to hear the gospel. It needs to see it played out in common unity. And that's what the test is for any church, any local church is that unity will demonstrate that the gospel works. It's so important. Uh, one in the eye is worth more than two in the ear. My dad used to always say that. don't know what it meant, but now I think I do. And Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthian church, I said, I ministered to you in word, deed, and signs. 
two of them were more about what he did in action than what's, what he spoke about, and that's the key. The second reason why I think that unity is so important is that it, it, it defends the gospel. Unity actually demonstrates that we're standing together in common support of the gospel message. And if you think about when Paul was writing to this group of people, they were under attack. They're under attack from all sorts of pagan religions. They're under attack from persecution. And if they didn't stand together united, then the gospel message would never have got off the ground. They had to stand together, linked together, in common purpose, in common unity, because they were being attacked from the outside. The sad part about Christianity today is it's not the outside that attack us, it's disunity from within that destroys us. It's unforgiveness, it's relationships that have gone sour and people that you know, won't talk to each other because they can't work through forgiveness and they can't accept each other's differences. And nowadays the gospel's all, all about being syncretized. You know, every, it doesn't matter what you believe, all roads lead to God. Or we can relativize it nowadays, you know, there's nothing black and white anymore. You don't want to be a black and white church because you might offend somebody. You know, but that's not the gospel. So, so unity means we stand together believing the same things theologically and supporting the truth of those things and we stand together united. It's really important. So what are the ingredients of unity? Paul makes it really clear. That's why I love what he does. He doesn't just say, go do it. He says, this is how you do it. And this is what you need to do it. He says, if you have any encouragement, if the gospel has changed you in any way, then you're a person that's encouraged. And that encouragement spreads like wildfire. It's contagious. If you have any comfort from God's love in your life, then you have something to strive for. If you have any fellowship with his spirit, if you walk with God day in, day out with intimacy, if you have any tenderness, any compassion, then they're the ingredients of unity. Have you ever met men that were so hard and so anti-God and yet when God changed their heart, they became like big, soft teddy bears, like big Darren over here? Great example. <laughs> Look at him holding the baby. Isn't it cute? In 1996, we're going back now, when I became a Christian, I wrote to my uncle who is like the patriarch of our family. And he was raised in a Christian home but walked away from the Christian faith. And I wrote him a pretty stern letter. Um, as you do when you're a new Christian, you're pretty fired up. And I said to him, you have responsibility for the mantle of authority over our family. What are you doing about it? And it was a pretty stern letter. And uh, until this day, we've never spoken about that letter. I sent it to him. But about three years ago, his wife got cancer and I wrote my auntie a letter and she got saved as a result of that you have to know my uncle uh, beer drinking swearing anti-god you name it he's a pretty rough tough man just recently he's given his life back to god you know he will not miss out on going to church he cries all the time he is so excited about the things of god and only god can do that it's so exciting. In October, we're having a family reunion, and he's organized for me to come and preach in his little church in Echuca. What an honor. We still haven't talked about that letter yet. <laughs> but he's a changed man. 
radically changed man. Why? Because the gospel has power. And the way that that power is demonstrated most is when people that hear bickering and gossip and slander and all sorts of things come into a community and they go, hey, you people really love each other. That's where the gospel is demonstrated. That's where it's its most powerful. And that's what Paul was trying to say to this group of people. You've got to have unity, a common unity, because Christianity's played out in, in, in unity that way. And he was asking them to strive for that. And then Paul goes on to say that unity all comes from in here. All comes from our mind. It's not an emotion that we stir up or whip up. It's actually a conscious decision to be of one heart, one mind, one spirit. It starts in the root of our mind. Unity is born out of a conscious decision to recognize and value that only when we become like-minded is the family and the faith of Christianity really going to work. Because you have to consider who you are, where you've come from, what God has done, how he's changed you. And when you can consider that, when you can weigh it up, you realize how much grace and mercy God has given you. And you realize how undeserved you are of that blessing of God. And therefore you understand that I want that blessing to go to other people. I want what God's done in my life to be done in the next person's life and the next person's life. And therefore you will go, I will give anything to make sure other people are esteemed higher than I am, that other people are cared for and nurtured. And so we consciously make a decision, I'm going to live out my life to bless other people, not just to get what's best for me. That's a conscious decision. Paul's saying you've got to determine that in your mind to live that way. And if we don't weigh it up, if we don't weigh up the price of having disunity, we've all been in churches where there's disunity, it's horrible. It's like a cancer that just goes like wildfire through a church and it can destroy it in a matter of days. It can, it can ruin people. I'm sure you've all been part of churches where you felt the, like the sick feeling in your stomach where there's just been disunity and disharmony and factions and people fighting about personalities or whatever. It's just wrong. And it can only happen when we are esteeming ourselves better than other people, can't it? Because if what other people think, if what other people want is more important, then you're always pushing yourself to the background. And you're always encouraging people to go forward. And we need that. We really need that. So Paul says, here's the, your objective. Be of one mind, one heart, and one will. And he's really saying that covers every aspect of your personality. Your heart, your mind, your soul. Is all got to be focused on being unified with one another. And it's exactly the same unity that Jesus had with his Father. It's a mirror of that, worked out in common unity, but it starts in my mind and is played out in my actions and my decisions. And then we become the sum of all the parts because we can have 99 people in unity, but we can have one person in disunity. And that one person's attitude or mindset can infect the whole family of people. And Paul was saying, obviously, there's something wrong in Philippi. Stop it. Make a conscious decision to understand the gospel and its power and its authority and what it's done for you and let that play out in your relationships. Choose wisely what you do. And then he goes on to say there's two reasons why unity will never happen. He says the first is self-importance. 
In humility, think of others more highly than yourself. You've heard of a superiority complex and you've heard of an inferiority complex. You know, the inferiority complex is, I don't really have anything to offer. I don't think God could really use me. You will never destroy unity if you have an inferiority complex. You'll burden the church with a whole lot of other stuff, but you'll never destroy unity because what you're really doing is pushing other people ahead of you. Inferiority complex is not healthy, but I'm just saying you're not going to tear down unity. A superiority complex is really saying what I believe and what I think should happen is best and I'm going to make sure it happens. And so you push your agenda or you push your wheelbarrow to the detriment of the rest of the church family and it gets destroyed and it's really sad. So we can't think that we're more important than others. And we see it all the time, don't we? We see it played out in the way that we give people titles and positions in churches. We have a default mechanism that says that Mark and Cheryl are more important than anybody else in the church because God has called them to be the leaders. Do you think like that sometimes? Please don't. Please don't ever think that because that's about function. It's not about importance. There is a very distinct separation between those two. No one's more important than anybody else. The Mark Wilkinsons that come and set the chairs up this morning is no important, more important than the guy doing the sound or Stacey leading worship. That's just a function. Their value is the same right throughout the body of Christ. We're all important, equally important. God's grace and mercy flowed as equally to Darren as it did to me, as it did to Paul, as it did to all of us. That's the beauty of the gospel. We all get the same. And the second thing Paul says is self-interest, looking after number one. We can't be people like that. You know, my rights, I have a right. You don't have any rights when you come to Jesus Christ. You surrender all those rights. You know, those sort of rights are enshrined in all our legal constitutions now. You know, the American rights for this and for that, you don't have any rights. And when we take rights out of the picture, then I have no platform to stand on. It's surrender. It's surrender to God. So humility in the mind is the source of unity. And then pride, whatever form it takes, root in our mind, will play out in our actions. Because what we often have in church circles is a false humility. Because the thought pattern that's going on in our head is really, I'm better than everybody else. But it doesn't get played out in action. Because people are smart enough to know, well, I won't verbalise it, or I won't act it out, but it's still in there. It's still what we think. So we've got to attack the mindset. And the mindset can only be transformed when we understand what God has given us was so undeserved. And then that will change your mind attitude. So what's the secret of unity? I think Paul gives it to us so beautifully. He says, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, now think about what Paul said. He said, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Now, often when people read that, they go, hmm, Jesus had a certain mindset or a certain attitude that I have to grasp and mirror in my mindset. That's often how we interpret that passage, but it's not what it's saying. Because the you is plural. It's saying, have the same mindset in Catalyst 
as Christ Jesus had. Let me explain myself a little bit further. The mind of Christ is not something we have to reach out and obtain. You already have the mind of Christ. It's already in you. You just have to surrender to it and let it work itself out in your life. It's not something you have to go looking for. It's already there. God's presence is in you. His mind is in you. His voice is in you. His leading is in you. So you're not searching for something hidden behind a tree out there. You've got to let it flow. You've got to tap into the mindset of God. It's an implicit verb. means you already have it. So therefore, let it affect your relationships. Let it affect what you think. You have the mind of Christ. Lord, what do you think in this situation? Oh, okay, yes. That's what I should do. I was thinking my own way, but surrender to the thoughts of God. So it's not something like to, to have a greater IQ or a greater intelligence or to learn more. No. You can be a brand new Christian that just got saved who has the mind of Christ because you surrender to God's way of thinking in your mind straight away. And you let that pattern of behavior. So it's a, it's a frame of mind that we should all have bubbling away in here. And then it gets expressed in our actions. And that's what Paul said. Have this same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus. And therefore he did what? He said, hmm, I'm equal with God. But I will give up my omnipresence and I will take on the form of a man. And just that alone is a huge step down to consider who Jesus Christ was the Logos a cosmic supernatural being who gave that up and didn't say well hang on a minute I'm God why should I he said no I'll take on what I'll take on humanity forever be stuck in a body and then he became born in our world it would be like me saying to you Tabitha I want you to become a goldfish and go and live in that little bowl with all those other little fish but those other little fish are going to eat you if you make that decision. And you will forever be a goldfish. I mean, it's hard to explain, isn't it? But that's the, that's the step down that Christ took so that we could benefit from the gospel. And then when you think about God's plan, Jesus, well, you know, I'm going to become a human. I'm going to live on the earth. Now, what sort of parents will I choose? What sort of context will I choose to be born into? Joseph and Mary, or a king's palace, a rich man, he chose what? The lowest form. That's what unity and humility do. Because Jesus didn't esteem himself better than anybody else. He said, I'll take the lowest rank to demonstrate. So Jesus made the right choices, and then his mindset reflected those choices. So it's a great passage of scripture isn't it real challenge to us now Paul remember we often talk about unity and we talk about unity in the context of all the Cadinia churches getting together and being unified and all the Casey churches being that's not what Paul's saying here he's talking about a local church setting he's saying be of like mind be of one heart one spirit remember Lydia was the lady that started the church here in Philippi it was a bunch of ladies that got together and you know what happens when ladies get disunified it can be like a cat fight it can get pretty messy and I think he was speaking with love to them and just saying listen 
understand the love that God has given you and love each other with that same degree of mercy and grace. And when you do that, something beautiful happens. And it means we have to have the courage as a group when there's conflict or when there's differences to work them through. In most churches, people will run away. They won't deal with the issues. They'll walk away and they'll go and find somewhere else. But you know what? You'll just take the problem with you. You've got to learn to resolve them. You've got to have the courage of heart to work through. Like This isn't one of those passages where you get a big spiritual high and you think about the power of God coming down, coming to the altar and being touched by God. This is hard yakka stuff. This is nitty-gritty nuts and bolts working it out in the everyday life. It is hard because it's a choice to... Be humble and lessen yourself and esteem others more important than yourself. It's counter contrary to our Western mindset. Because our Western mindset says, look after number one, do anything you need to do to get to the top of the ladder, eat the dogs, do whatever, walk over people, get to the top no matter what the cost. And Jesus is saying, wrong mindset, that's worldly. Just like we've rearranged the room today, back to front, upside down. That's what Christ is saying. Esteem others better than yourself. Put other people first. And then the church will be what God intended it to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that um, when you call us to, to work out our faith, you don't call us to something that's impossible. You say, All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. And Lord, unity is such a beautiful thing. When Christians come together, when brothers and sisters come together in unity, Lord, you command a blessing where there is unity. You manifest yourself in a special way because you know it reflects who you are in the Godhead. So, Lord, my prayer would simply be that you would teach us how to be humble, how to esteem one another better than ourselves, how to put other people before us, how to be servants. And, Lord, when there's times where we get that out of order, would you give us the courage to go and ask for forgiveness? Would you give us the courage to go and say sorry, to clarify something where there's confusion, to go and say, you know, I heard you saying this the other day and it really hurt and wounded me. Can I ask what you meant? Lord, we don't want to ever be a church that's divided, but united we want to stand together in common purpose to see the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see the kingdom of God poured out from this place and spilling over into our community. But Lord, the community needs to come and see community done your way, to see love that abounds, to see grace that flows, to see mercy, to see brotherly, sisterly love. Lord, would you help us to spawn that in our minds, to give birth to it in the way that we think about one another. And Father, where there's pride in our hearts, where we we get ourselves on a pedestal and think somehow that we're better, Lord, would you tear that down from under us and humble us 
Because, Lord, I know that your word says that you oppose the proud. So, Lord, we want to be truly humble people. So, Lord, would you teach us to be that way? Teach us to be people that reflect who you were, Jesus. One with your Father, one with the Spirit, in perfect harmony. Lord, would you help us as a church, as individuals in our marriages to reflect that, in our families to reflect that, and in this gathering of people to reflect that. And Lord, I know that you long for that. Such a beautiful thing. Father, stir us up today and help us to walk in the integrity of being humble, I pray. In Jesus' name.